Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Green's beauty director, Alexandra Engler. On this podcast, we explore beauty through the lens of well being. And on today's episode, we are exploring how technology can help us bring health education and skin education to the masses um, and how this can be done via social media channels, how this can be done via telemedicine. I mean, there's just so many avenues to explore. And to do so, I'm having on Dr. Shaw, whom you might know from the viral sensation that is Dr. Lee, and Dr. McClellan, who is a surgeon, a professor at Harvard, and the co-founder of Cortina Health. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. Thanks so much, Alex. Thank you so much for having us on. Sure. Um, Well, I will allow you guys to share your story and your journey into medicine. Uh, Dr. McClellan, why don't you start? You know, what was your journey into medicine and more specifically telehealth? So my journey, probably like a lot of other doctors out there, I felt a calling kind of from an early age to want to help others and especially in the medical space. You know, with medicine, there's really kind of two types of care we provide. It's either quality of care for life. So we're trying to expand life or it's quality of care for how you feel about uh, yourself and uh, and really more quality over quantity. And so for me, I'm a plastic surgeon. I like to make sure everyone always understands I am not a dermatologist. Um, but as a plastic surgeon, I really wanted to help people with their quality of life. So I am a reconstructive surgeon dealing uh, with birth defects full-time, uh, was up at Boston Children's full-time. I now am adjunct faculty uh, there. And the main reason for that was because, uh, especially right before COVID hit, I saw a huge problem. That was actually access to dermatology care. And so I left full-time practice to create a technology company that is now one of the largest national teledermatology providers out there. We strictly work with board-certified dermatologists uh, to provide care to the masses. And Dr. Shaw, what was your journey into medicine and dermatology specifically? Yeah, so I initially had no goal of doing dermatology. I actually specialized in something else first and found a passion for just improving people's lives. And I kind of put together a bag of things that I wanted to do in my life and things that really kept me motivated and all those things fit dermatology. And so I actually switched specialties, which is actually very unusual in medicine to start a specialty and then switch. And so I went back through training all over again to become a dermatologist and I absolutely found my passion. My favorite thing about dermatology is that people come in with different skin conditions and we can see them visually. They can see them visually. It's not like high blood pressure or diabetes where you, you, they affect your body, but you can't see them or feel them for the most part. And patients are a lot of times not seeing the results of their treatments unless they're like checking their, you know, their blood glucose or their blood, their blood pressure with our medications with, with dermatology. Like if I treat your acne and your acne gets better, you know, you see your skin every day in the mirror. And so, you know, your skin is getting better. And so that leads to a huge confidence boost, but it also makes me feel really good about what I do as a dermatologist to improve people's lives. And so, It's absolutely my passion. And so I started to create content on social media because it was my passion. And what I started to realize out there was that there was a lot of misinformation on the skin. 
oh, you have to buy really expensive skincare products or this doesn't work and this does work. And, and all of it was bogus what I was seeing on social media. And so I started to create content to combat that almost as a joke. And then I started to take off uh, quite a bit. And I, I kind of took like a bird's eye view of like, why is this content so popular with people? And I realized that there just wasn't a lot of good content out there. And so people were actually like looking for this information, especially from dermatologists. And so I really doubled down on that. I started on TikTok expanded to YouTube and then Instagram. And then uh, Dr. Reed and I got together, teamed up um, and, you know, are now working on this Cortina project because the problem is that I kept making these recommendations on social media, like you need to get tretinoin for your acne. And invariably the comments were, well, I don't have access to that. I can't see a dermatologist. My dermatologist takes six months to get into. And so, you know, he's like, well, I have a solution for that. You know, we can use technology to get people the medicines that they actually need to improve their skin. And so it was a pretty, uh, it was, it was a pretty obvious partnership in the sense that it was really going to help my followers, um, to be able to access these medications. I want to ask you guys what your skin health and well-being philosophies are. And I, and I like to ask this question because I think it illuminates the broader conversation that we'll be having, um, you know, especially around bringing dermatology to the masses. But, you know, is there kind of a guiding light that you follow within your practice? Yeah. So, you know, for me, uh, the main thing is I always say this because people always say, well, how do you pick your recommendations or how do you know what to, what, what companies to partner with? And, everything from that. And and for me, it actually became really easy. The main thing I asked myself, the guiding light is like, if my mom asked me, what would you do? Or what should I get? Or what should I buy? Or I need to get tretinoin or I have acne, like, but I can't see a dermatologist, where would you go? And if the answer is like a Cortina, or if the answer is, you know, this particular product that I'm recommending, then yes, I will recommend it to people. But if it's not something I would recommend to my mom, if she asked me and that, and a lot of factors make that decision. It could be the price, it could be the ingredients, it could be the affordability, the accessibility. All those things are gonna come to play a factor for me. And if I even hesitate for a second that I'd recommend it to my mom, then I wouldn't recommend it to my patients or to my followers on social media. And actually that becomes a really good guiding light because there are, there are little small nuances that are hard to quantify, but if you're, you wouldn't recommend it to your mom, then why should you be recommending it to other people? And the same thing happens in my office. Like if someone comes in for a particular procedure and I know that these procedures are expensive, I could say, Hey, get this done, but I know it won't really have a benefit on their skin. And I would say, okay, well, if it was my mom's last $800, would I then recommend this procedure for them? And if the answer is no, then I won't recommend it. And that makes, that helps me sleep well at night. So that's my guiding light. I'm sure your mom has great skin. (laughs) I absolutely love that. And most importantly, I love that uh, Dr. Shaw would refer Mrs. Shaw to Cortina. That's that's phenomenal. Um, So personally, for me, my guiding light is to make sure that the experts are the ones providing the care at the end of the day. And that's why I said it when we first started, I'm not a dermatologist, so I'm not going to tell you what to do with your skin, really. I'm going to tell you what dermatologists told me to do for my skin, but um, I want the individual to get in front of that true skincare expert. These board-certified dermatologists have spent years studying this art and this craft, and they know it better than most. And unfortunately, we live in a society where information is vast and information can go viral really quickly and everyone seems to be a skincare expert. Now, I'm not saying that only board certified dermatologists are the experts. There are 
brilliant individuals out there that have studied this. But for me, I know that when I send any of our patients to a board certified derm, I know exactly what they're going to get at the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, I think you being a plastic surgeon, you have um, an interesting um you know, you come from this from an interesting place because you do obviously work in the beauty space, you work in the skin space, but just from a different angle. Um, so, you know, when when you approach your beauty philosophy, how how do you think being a plastic surgeon informs that? For me, it's always about keeping it simple because there is so much out there. And in the exact same way that Dr. Shaw has mentioned about certain types of procedures that Patients may even come request because they think they've seen it on social media or whatever. It's really breaking it down and educating the patient on what they've seen and that for that individual, it may have been the perfect uh, solution. But for this individual, the patient standing in front of me, that's actually not the right. So it's all about uh, education uh, at the end of the day. I think, though, I'm going to start using the would I would I advise my mom on it or not? Because I because I really I really like that. It's a new guiding light for me personally. Yeah, I like it too. I'm gonna you know start using that as my guiding light when I'm recommending stuff uh, for the site. <laughs> Dr. Shaw, you've inspired all of us. Thank you. <laughs> With derms on social media, which I think is really interesting because you have a lot of beauty influencers or, that are out there and they provide really valuable information on products that they like, products they didn't like, and they give feedback. Um, and I think dermatologists on social media have a very specific role because of the way that we're trained. It's first do no harm and then it's to do good. And so you'll hear a lot of derms like really kind of bashing things like fragrances and other like essential oils and things that tend to irritate the skin. And the reason behind that is because we are kind of rooted in this do no harm philosophy. And so derms kind of get a lot of criticism sometimes on social media for being so negative on particular ingredients. But that's because there are a lot of other viewpoints that can present the alternative opinions. And I think derms need to sort of be rooted in this um, this philosophy of how we take care of our patients because we often sometimes see the worst case scenarios, uh, not not the everyday person who just does fine with every product. We see the allergic reactions and we see the irritant contact dermatitis. And so a lot of times the criticism is because we're just speaking to a different audience. And so um, that's also part of the philosophy it goes into the, the training um, that we have on like the do no harm philosophy. No, and I think that makes a lot of sense because you know, as somebody who keeps an eye on the space is you do get a lot of people who are advising making these like DIY concoctions that are using, you know, an insane amount of like lemon essential oil, just something that just really makes my skin crawl. And, <laughs> and so we do need people who are in this space to say, no, here's why you wouldn't do that and to provide a voice of reason. And on that note, that kind of guides me into the next thing that I wanted to ask you about, Dr. Shaw, is, you know, you have obviously amassed this huge following on social media for giving this no-nonsense advice. And I'm, I'm curious about what that aspect of your career has been like. Um, I, I can't imagine that you went into being a doctor with this idea that you are going to be social media famous one day, but here you are. And, you know, like, how does that inform your practice and how do you approach that? 
Yeah, I know. I definitely didn't want, I wasn't like your traditional influencer in the sense that I was, you know, posting lifestyle pictures on Instagram. In fact, like a lot of my initial videos were so raw. Now I have like a good video setup and everything. But before I was just like holding like an iPhone mic and speaking into it. So I, I wasn't like trying to be like an influencer or anything like that. And it sort of took a mind of its own. And it was because my mentor basically told me, hey, like, you know, you do a great job in dermatology clinic, you're seeing, you know, let's say you're seeing 30 patients a day, and you're telling everybody wear sunscreen, but on you could do one video where you could reach a million people within an hour. And like, you won't be able to reach those people in a lifetime uh, in clinic. And so like what you're doing on social media is super valuable. And like, you should really try to like hone those skills and continue to try to reach people with it. So it almost it was almost like a calling uh, that I sort of fell into. Um, I really think that derms on social media in general and my content in general is helping so many people. I mean, people approach me all the time and they're like, you know, I was struggling so much with my skin and I had no idea where to start or where to go. And I, I was frustrated by my doctor's appointments. I couldn't get clear answers. I, they weren't communicating to me in the way that I liked. And then I stumbled upon your YouTube videos. And I just want to tell you that it really helped my skin. And so I think anybody who's putting out taking the time to put content out there, this podcast, um, the articles that you put out, these are really helping people that are in serious need and, and have nowhere to go. And so um, I think definitely what I do on social media is making a big difference, but I didn't mean it to be that way. And in fact, I always say like, if I could have the impact that I have on people's skin and somehow be behind the scenes doing it, I would choose that over being the face of something uh, personally. Like no, if people who know me know that I would not prefer being in the spotlight. It's just that there's no other way right now. And I am like actively behind the scenes working on elevating other derms to be the face um, within my platform because I prefer not to be the face, but it just so happens that it, that, that this is how the cards uh, fell right now. Well, that kind of guides me into something that I wanted to chat with both of you about, which is this intersection and marriage of technology and medicine. Um, and how we can utilize technology to bring education to the masses. And clearly this is something that you both are very passionate about. Um, and I'm curious where that stems from, like where did that calling come from where you're like, I, we have the tools now to reach a wider audience. Let's utilize it. And, you know, this is how we can do it. Um, it Dr. Reed, you know, why don't you start? I've only got two hands. I can only see one patient uh, at a time. The same way Dr. Shaw mentioned a moment ago, they can see 30 patients um, in a day, but he can make a video that touches over a million people in one hour to educate them. Well, in that exact same regard, I saw a tremendous problem in the United States, really the world, but let's just focus on the US right now. And that was access to getting in to see a dermatologist in person. Uh, for the majority of individuals, it does take a long time. Interestingly, a lot of skin diseases can be treated completely virtually. So even though I personally am not seeing patients except one day a month now, I knew that I was actually going to provide care. Maybe it's one degree removed, maybe it's four degrees removed, but I was going to provide more care if I create an environment that allowed our experts, the board certified dermatologists, to be able to, as you just said it perfectly, Alex, meet the patient where the patient is. These dermatologists are working 
eight to five every single day, longer than that even. It's not that these people aren't working. It's just that there's a supply and demand issue. There aren't enough dermatologists to see all of the individuals that need to be seen in person. But interestingly, a lot of uh, people can be treated completely virtually. And for us at Cortina, I personally felt that Telederm, or you can think of it this way, 2D dermatology is probably harder to do than 3D dermatology, where you go in person and you can see if it's raised. Like these individuals that we're working with, they're strictly looking at photos and talking to patients. It has to be the expert that knows the skin the best to provide the tele. So that's why I partnered with Dr. Shaw, went out and we recruited uh, some of the world's greatest teledermatologists out there to provide the care to all the masses. Yeah. Dr. Shaw, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I think it's twofold. One, you know, I was creating the content in the first place, right? So I needed somewhere to direct people. And so part of like using technology to educate people, you can reach millions and millions of people, which is an amazing thing, right? And then someone, people need to take that information and go somewhere. Now, a lot of my recommendations are over the counter. So you can go into Sephora or Ulta and buy a lot of those recommendations. But a lot of things don't respond to those types of treatments. They need prescription medications that are actually going to have an effect on their skin. And so if you can't see a dermatologist, where's this middle ground, right? You have seeing a dermatologist, which I still consider to be the gold standard, and then the over-the-counter stuff that's available at Walgreens. And then in between that space is this teledermatology, and I needed somewhere to send people. So using technology to solve that problem was really, really important to my followers. But the second part of this was that I'm a very practical person and I saw that this was happening. Teledermatology companies were popping up all around me. And, you know, I'm not going to say names specifically, but I felt like some people were doing it better than other people. And like Dr. Reed was saying, one of the issues is that I think that it is very difficult to do teledermatology. Even now, like one of the main things that a dermatologist does that a lot of people will never tell you about is that they'll have a lot of friends send them pictures of their skin. They'll say, hey, what do you think about this mole? Or what do you think about this rash? And it is so much harder to interpret a picture than it is to interpret something in real life where you can put your hands on it, you can look closer at it. Just the resolution that you have from your eyeballs is always going to be better than anything that you're going to get through a picture. So doing teledermatology is very difficult, which means it needs to be done the right way. And so I'm not going to be the horse and buggy driver that says, well, I'm just going to drive my horse and buggy drive uh, my, my, my horse and buggy forever. I'm just going to neglect that all this technology is coming out and I'm actually going to try to stop it. I'm going to create a committee that says, hey, we're not doing cars. But in reality, the cars are happening. And so if you're a horse and buggy driver and you know the roads better than anybody, maybe you should be working with the car companies to make sure that things are done safely and that you can anticipate like different changes in the terrain, uh, you know, for example. So like that's that was my role. I was saying like, okay, this is happening. Like how can I partner with the right company that's doing this the right way? And when Dr. Reed approached me, he wanted to do some sponsored content on YouTube. And I said, well, I can do that, but like, tell me your philosophy, like what's going on? Like, how does it work? Is this something I'd recommend to my mom? And he's like, well, we're only using board certified dermatologists. And I'm like, well, that's unique because you're the only one because everybody else is not everybody else, but there's been sort of a commoditization of online teledermatology where it's more about just getting the ingredient rather than the treatment and care of the patient, which is super important to me. Like this is healthcare, not a commodity. It's not just getting the tretinoin that you want, but it's actually making sure that tretinoin is appropriate for you. And then if it is appropriate, getting it to you, right? So he's telling me about the entire platform and I'm like, this is the one that aligns with me the most. And so for me, I was like, okay, I am going to join the car companies, 
but just to, I need to make sure that it's the right car that's doing it the safest way. And so that's that's where I ended up with this. And I think there is this misconception around visiting a dermatologist where it almost seems like an element of a privilege, right? Like people only associate it with aesthetic changes or um, maybe they'll, you know, go and see somebody if they are suffering from acne or a specific condition. Um, and it's not necessarily seen as something that is baseline health in a way. Um, and that's something that I personally feel very passionate about that we start viewing skin health through the lens of your overall health. And that is a vital part of your overall health. It is, you know, your, your largest organ. It is a core part of your immune system. It, you know, it has all these functions um, that we should be caring for. And I'm curious, you know, with new technology to, to bring it to the masses and bring access to the masses, how, how are you helping people kind of like reshape their, their view of visiting a dermatologist in general? Like, do you find that there is, that there are people who definitely like view it in that way where it does almost seem like a privilege or it seems like something that is a step removed from them? Yeah, I think dermatology is sort of an interesting specialty because even within the medical community, a lot of people think what we do is purely aesthetic or cosmetic. And I would say maybe, and I probably have a more robust cosmetic practice at my office because of what I do on social media, because a lot of that is more aesthetic and cosmetic because it's like what you can see. But my practice is still about 75% medical dermatology or surgical dermatology. And then 25% is that cosmetic where people are coming in for, you know, I just want to improve my wrinkles or I want to improve my skin texture. I want to have more radiance or I want to minimize my pores. But most of the stuff that's coming into my office is skin cancers. I would say like 50% of what I do is skin checks, biopsies, skin cancers, uh, rashes, rheumatologic diseases like lupus. And so the skin is, is like you said, an organ, but not just that, it, it also is like a sign of things that are going on in your body, right? If you have gluten intolerance, like it can show up as a rash on your arms, that's very itchy. So there are so many things that are going on in the body that are then represented in the skin. And there's no way to look at organ systems as individual objects. And I think that's a mistake that we probably make in medicine is that we have a cardiologist that focuses on the heart. We have a dermatologist that focuses on the skin. Um, but you know, like what you eat and what you put in your body and what your, you know, your cardiovascular health is like is also going to affect the skin. And so it's like one living, breathing being um, that's all sort of interconnected. And so I think, you know, more of a holistic approach is super important. But when patients come into my office, like the main thing that, you know, I'm trying to evaluate for is that skin health, right? My thing is that healthy skin is going to be beautiful skin, but it has to be healthy skin first, which is why, you know, we talk a lot about sun protection and a lot of people want to focus more on beauty products and beauty procedures, but sun protection leads to healthier skin, which then looks more beautiful, more radiant, avoids those wrinkles, avoids that hyperpigmentation. So those things are interconnected to me. Yeah, certainly. Dr. Reed, anything to add? I love this question because it's a great way to also educate the audience on the two types of medicine in both dermatology and plastic surgery, which is aesthetics slash cosmetics, and then reconstruction. So what is aesthetics? Aesthetics is wanting to look 
supernatural. So a 110-year-old woman who comes in and says, I want a facelift to look like a 20-year-old woman. Well, that's supernatural. That's not, She should not look like a 20-year-old woman at that moment in time, right? Versus reconstruction is, as Dr. Shaw just mentioned, a cancer. Skin cancer should not be there. So removing that, putting the skin back together in an appropriate way, that's reconstruction uh, at the end of the day. And that's actually what the majority of dermatology is. Acne, hair loss, that's not cosmetic. That you should not have acne on your skin. Your hair should not necessarily be thinning. So some people say, oh, yes, of course it is because it's age the same way you wrinkle. No, it actually is a reconstructive issue. And but it, but aesthetics also isn't the bad guy at the end of the day. There's a psychosocial component that we haven't even talked about yet here that we really want to focus on the individual patient's well-being and their psychology. And if they feel better in their skin, great. We're providing a major service to them. But you hit on something and as a white male, I'm going to go I'm going to go all the way on the end. You said something about privilege. I'll take it one step farther. When I mentioned to some uh, people, listen, my goal is to democratize dermatology care. And just so happens Dr. Shaw's goal was to democratize dermatology education. And so when we came together, it just was a beautiful partnership there because we really both want to provide that access. But one of my friends said, isn't skin, isn't dermatology just like a white privilege disease? Uh, to which I literally, I nearly flew out of my chair and said, guys, people of all skin colors have skin disease. But you're right. Majority of patients in dermatology may be people of white skin tone. That's one reason why, besides partnering with Dr. Shaw to get the message out, we've actually partnered with Dr. Uh, with uh, not Dr. but Mr. Vernon Davis. Vernon Davis is a NFL Super Bowl uh, champion, one of the uh, leaders in the person of color uh, community, now a famous movie star as well. And the whole reason I uh, partnered with Vernon was because we wanted to make sure that people of all skin colors knew that Cortina was here. But I can't, I can't go in as some white guy, white privilege guy into the inner city and say, hey, everybody, I want to help take care of you. When Vernon heard that, he loved it so much. He said, yeah, I'm right, I'm right there with you, man. Let's do this. But we keep using the word access. Access isn't just about the fact that if you have an iPhone or a computer, we can now serve you. It's also about affordability. We can provide you access, but if it costs too much, no one's going to actually be able to do it. And that's why at Cortina, we leverage, we're talking about technology, we leveraged our technology so that we could pr- pass on savings to the individual patient and so that we could have both access and affordability for those individual people at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, I think those are all such excellent points. And, you know, you mentioned the emotional and mental health component, and that isn't something we've talked about, but that is such a core part of this. I, I something that I talk a lot about with it and this podcast and my content in general is, is the mental health component. And one part of that is I, I feel like beauty professionals are sometimes they, they can act as in a similar role as, you know, a mental health professional in a lot of ways. And certainly I think dermatologists probably experience this. You know, somebody comes in with a, a skin condition or, you know, maybe it is a, an aesthetic concern. And all of a sudden you start talking about, you know, how you feel about yourself and, you know, what you're dealing with emotionally. Um, and and I think it's really fascinating and and how you how do you address that within within telemedicine and how do you address that just within technology and in general you know dr shaw like i'm i'm sure you experience this quite a bit with with your followers i'm i'm sure people are reaching out all the time and you do come across 
probably a lot of stories of, of people who are perhaps struggling with, you know, how they feel about themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think that your skin health is tightly intertwined with your psychological health in many ways, your confidence. You know, when patients come into the office, a lot of times they have skin issues that really, really affect them. You know, my classic story here is the teenager with acne who, even when you meet them, like they look at the ground, they are not confident, they don't want to go on dates, they don't want to, you know, have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and treating them and improving their acne, you, you see those things change in their lives. They are more interactive. They are taking more risks um, with their romantic life. And then watching their skin improve more and more, just like completely changing their life. I will say though, that there is like this psychiatric component that is more chemical, you know, serotonin levels and all this, that even if you improve someone's skin, like that's not going to do that. But a lot of times skin is, is tightly intertwined. And even our medical visits end up being almost therapy sessions in the sense that people come in and, you know, they just are stressed about something in their life and they have a stress related rash. Maybe they have hives or something like this. And then they start to unload a lot of the things that are happening in your life. And it turns into a way for them to just communicate what they're going through. And then I end up not even really talking much about their skin because I'm just like, Hey, take this for the hives, but let's talk a little bit about what's going on in your life. And so medicine is that, and you know, it's very personal and that's why I feel like it's not a commodity. Medicine is really healthcare and it's tightly intertwined to everything else that's going on in your life. So um, I think that's a little bit more difficult to address on, and I'd like to hear Dr. Reed thinks, a little bit more difficult to address in telemedicine in general. You know, you can have this, uh, with Cortina, you have this feedback where you can talk to your dermatologist, you know, 24-7, send them messages. And so there is that feedback loop where it's not just like you get the medicine and you move on, but it's harder to have that real personal connection uh, when you're one-on-one with somebody. I know there's some like telepsychiatry um, companies that do a, do a good job with that, but I still think even, even in person is always going to be better. But the reality is there's just not access. Sure. Yeah. Dr. Reed, do you have anything to add there? And I would agree that the, the, the truth of the matter is if everyone could be seen in person, Cortina doesn't need to exist, right? Uh, although a lot of people prefer it because they they, they actually don't necessarily want to drive to the doctor, try to find a parking space, wait two hours because we're always late uh, on, on everything. But the reason we're late is because we're providing care to that patient before you and we're not going to rush them. We're going to spend the time, especially in dermatology, talking and working through it. I um, agree completely that if we were just a one-stop shop to where we diagnose you, we provide you with a personalized compound of medication, which is exactly what we do. But we then cut off communication because really just paid us to be diagnosed and and get that medicine. We wouldn't be providing actual dermatology care at the end of the day. And as Dr. Shaw mentioned, that's one reason why we do provide 24-7 access to your doctor so that you can do follow up. And um, I know personally a lot of my dermatologists are actually doing the same thing that uh, Dr. Shaw does in person, speaking to them about their mental health and determining uh, issues. And so fortunately for us, we keep using that same word, theme of the day, access, right? We are providing actually 24-7 access uh, to our patients. Now, what we really want at the end of the day is continuity of care, allowing that same doctor to take care of that same patient 
for the long haul and actually truly provide for them. When we say 24-7 access, we truly mean that. At the same time, we ask the patient to show grace because you may write the doctor at 1 a.m. He or she may not be upright there at that moment. But within 24 hours, we're back with you and we're talking to you and working uh, through it as well. What you guys have explained here kind of inspired um, a, a memory that I had of growing up. I had really bad teenage acne and um, you know, I, I too was the kid who was in the dermatologist's office and really, you know, felt really bad about myself, really sad. And I remember like looking back, dermatology was the access to get the help that I needed elsewhere with, for my mental health. But it started with me visiting a dermatologist and addressing, you know, how I felt. And so it, you know, I do think that like, all of health is interconnected in, in these really meaningful and intimate ways. And sometimes, you know, beauty and dermatology and aesthetics is this, you know, open door that people can utilize that opens them up to, you know, the treatments and help that they need elsewhere. And so, you know, I think providing access to dermatologists and dermatology is a way that, you know, maybe, maybe more people can better themselves elsewhere, you know? That's actually a really good point. I don't think ever really gets brought up is the referral process that happens and, and how you first interact with the healthcare system may not be where you need to be at all. But a lot of times dermatology is the first thing that people see about themselves and it bothers them a lot about themselves. And then, like I said, like you could have a rash on your arms that could be related to your gut health, just in the same way as, you know, you could have a rash that could be related to your mental health, or maybe that that discussion about your acne leads to a discussion about your mental health. And then that leads to a referral to a psychiatrist. And that's, you know, what you ultimately needed all along. And so there's a lot of that that happens on in medicine. And that's why, you know, kind of reemphasizing, you're just kind of validating my point here that, you know, like medicine, dermatology, skin health, I mean, they really are healthcare. And you can't, like, you can't look at each of these systems as isolated things because they really are connected to the overall human being. And so that happens every day in our office where someone comes in for something and they end up somewhere else because, you know, the, the only place they knew to go was a dermatologist because it was the only thing they could see was wrong. But there's something else going on and we get to the bottom of it by referring to other doctors we trust. I loved this part of this conversation, you know, I think bringing access to people is just um, a, a mission that I admire very much. Um, and certainly it's something that I feel very passionate about as well. Um, but I, I can't not ask about social media trends and, you know, the sort of things that um, get on your nerves when you are seeing uh, what goes viral and whatnot. Um, so, you know, Dr. Shaw, what are some of the worst social media trends that you've seen lately? And, you know, how are you trying to correct some of that misinformation out there? Yeah, I think, you know, it's always topical. It always depends on the time of the year. Right now, probably the big thing is different tanning hacks that are out there. Oh, this is what you need to do to get the best tan in the sun. And people put, you know, they put all kinds of baby oil or, you know, different tanning oils on or, oh, this is how I saw a recent hack where somebody was showing how to get like the lines on their body to look like they were at the beach in a bathing suit so that when they put on like uh, a low cut shirt, they could see those lines so that it could look like they were on vacation somewhere. And so you see all this kind of stuff and it usually is depending on the season and what's popular at the time. The interesting thing about social media is that probably for the first time ever, it, 
over the last maybe two years or so, there's sort of a checks and balances system. A lot of times you could end up in like a, a hole on the internet back like three, four years ago where you'd be on an Instagram page or a Facebook group where like everyone is just sort of reaffirming your belief. And if you want to put out tanning hacks, like no one's going to stop you. But now that like TikTok has turned this like duet feature and Instagram then adopted this duet feature, it allows there to be like a checks and balances system where like if you make content, it's not like in a vacuum and people end up like either tagging me in the video, I duet the video and say like, don't do this. This is a bad idea. And so like this sort of like cross sharing of information and the fact that there's a lot of professionals now on social media allows that doesn't allow that information to go as far as it once did. Uh, because like immediately you're going to get a response from either a dermatologist or even your followers who are now very much educated on the skin and how to protect it. And so that's probably the big thing now. But I've actually noticed that there's actually much more accountability on social media, in my opinion, than ever before. Not in politics, but at least in the beauty space. Got a lot of people tattling on each other. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot of snitches on social media. So you can't you can't get away with it. My 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 like uh TikTok is all people just tagging me and the crazy stuff that they see. And they're like, Dr. Shaw, say something about this, you know. So I'm like, all right, here we go. So yeah, it's but it, but the fact that they're even telling me to do that means that they're like there's like knowledge now more than ever before. Because I remember growing up, like I didn't even know that tanning was bad for you. I really didn't even know. Like I actually thought it was good for you because, oh, if you have a tan, it, you know, tightens your skin. It's better for your pores. It can defeat acne, um, all these things. You need a base tan because it protects you. All the stuff that like all these myths out there, I just didn't even know. But I feel like the average person is so knowledgeable about the skin now because of just content that's out there from like your average beauty influencer to your dermatologist that are out there just putting out good content. No, I, I completely agree. I think um, I, I think it's incredible what has happened with the advent of social media. Obviously, there's very notable uh, side effects to it, and you know, certainly it's not all good. However, there's um, at least there's you know good people on these various platforms who can help educate and um, help people get the information that you know they need to take care of themselves. Um, so, you know, I guess that kind of leads me to the last question that I want to ask you guys about this is, um, what does the future of dermatology and telemedicine look like? You know, what, obviously we're seeing, we're seeing the start of telemedicine happen in a major way. I think the pandemic really pushed it forward in a lot of ways, um, and really, you know, got people interested in it. And, you know, what does the future of this even look like? Dr. Reed, why don't you start? I think that we all have to except that the worldwide pandemic was something that in our generation, we've never experienced anything like that. And I really pray that we never have to experience that again. But looking for a silver lining, if there is one, anyone who saw a doctor of any kind over the past two to three years, at least once saw that person virtually through telemedicine. It was kind of a global experiment of explaining that actually telemedicine can work and you can actually get appropriate information from your provider and you can actually possibly even be enjoyable uh, at the same time. Telemedicine has been around for a long time. It wasn't like uh, COVID hit and we said, oh my goodness, how are we going to serve our, our patients? It's been around. It's that people weren't necessarily willing to adopt it because there was still the horse and buggy and the horse and buggy was seen by the majority of providers. They were all horse and buggy uh, guys and gals uh, out there. 
with telemedicine, we as medical providers all had to change ship and uh, provide this kind of access through telemedicine. So I think we're going to continue to see that to grow. I think we also have to, you mentioned the pandemic, I think we also have to realize that the men and women on the front lines that kept all of us safe, the nurses, the assistants, the doctors, that when we're battling this, when we didn't even know really what it was at the time, there was a lot of misinformation. There was just a lot of unknown information that we were trying to learn. These individuals are tired. Um, and so you ask about just healthcare in general. I think that we're going to have to have a little bit of a, a reset and allow these people to, once again, I use the word show grace, show, show grace these individuals that they were called to provide service for others and take care of people. But they're tired uh, right now. I'm hopeful that telemedicine will actually be a great way for them to provide that care, but still to have a little bit of a break. And why do I say that? Because the technology can assist them. The technology can help them move forward, but it's not just, quote, them having to provide that care at the end of the day. It's a dual partnership. Yeah, I love that you said that. I, I think it's so important that, you know, a reset is right. People need a break and certainly no... No one deserves it more than those who work in medicine. I, I think that is a fantastic point. Uh, I love that, uh, Doctor Shaw. Do you have anything? Do you have anything that you want to say about the future of dermatology? The future? Who knows? Uh, you know, I never thought we'd be where we are today. <laughs> so uh, I think uh, the main thing is that the, whatever the future is, I think you know we we should all try to play a role to make it sure that it's done right and that people are protected. Um, I think there have been so many changes over the past like three years specifically. I remember our EMR to Dr. Reed's point didn't even have the capabilities to do telemedicine. Like we couldn't even video conference within the app that we had that we used to like collect our uh, electronic, like the electronic medical record where we collect all our data. Within like two weeks of the pandemic, they had enabled this feature that seemed like it would take a lifetime to create otherwise. And so there was a lot of innovation during the pandemic. Um, despite all the bad outcomes of it in general. And so I think what we do with that now is going to be really interesting going forward. I'm curious to know what AI is going to mean for all of this. Like are people, is there going to be an AI? Is there going to be a chat GPT where you upload a photo and it gives you a diagnosis with some degree of accuracy? Who knows, right? Um, but I just know that like whatever it is, like we'll all sort of adapt to it. Um, but I think some of the conversations that we've had today kind of point out that even if it could make a diagnosis, would it be enough to like connect with the, on the human level to, you know, maybe spot out a psychological need to get you a referral to a psychiatrist? Would it be enough, um, you know, a, to like actually have that two-way communication? Um, even like having discussions like this, I remember, um, you know, like having a discussion on Zoom, like versus something else like it's completely changed the way that people and humans interact and so i don't know if we even know what the repercussions of the of the like virtual environment will have like on people's mental health in general like loneliness in general there was a new like uh warning from the surgeon general that came out this week that said that loneliness um is like worse like than you know somewhat like smoking or something i don't i don't remember exactly what they compared it to but the the meant the, the effects on the body of loneliness like the actual physical effects of the body on loneliness, like on loneliness, it was like a huge impact on the body. And so um, ultimately, I don't know how like this virtual world 
uh, will change humankind. Um, but I think that it, whatever is changing, like we should all try to be a part of it and do it the right way because there needs to be humans uh, that have good intentions keeping these things under control because otherwise like it can really get chaotic pretty quickly yeah ai can't take your guys's job because it's certainly probably going to take mine one day so <laughs> well i don't know you, you saw the did they create an entire podcast using um ai right where they just took the voices and created the topics and so, I mean, it could happen, but I think there's something, it's like that uncanny valley, right? Where there's just not something quite human about um, these interactions. And so, I don't know if we can ever solve for like that human empathy, um, but it's getting pretty good. I've played with these things. And so, I, I think it's pretty interesting. And we'll, we'll all maybe two years from now reconnect when AI takes all of our jobs. <laughs> the unemployment podcast. Um <laughs> Okay, so the last thing that I want to ask you guys about is how you take care of yourself. Um, you know, I, I ask this of a lot of beauty professionals, and usually how they take care of themselves is in relation to whatever, you know, beauty uh, section of the world they're in. Um, I'm going to leave this up to your interpretation on how you want to answer this. It could be skincare. It could be how you take care of yourself in general. As we've discussed many times today, it's all interconnected. So, you know, uh, how do you how do you take care of yourself? Dr. Shaw, I'll have you start. Yeah, I think routines are really important, which I like like you mentioned, you know, of course the dermatologist is gonna say this, but routines in general, they give you a sense of grounding, they give you a sense of safety, they give you a sense of security. And so, like, for example, a skincare routine, though, it seems like, okay, you're just trying to take care of your skin. This thing that you do in the morning and the thing that you do at night, you know, they always say, you know, make your bed in the morning, right? Things like that, that create sort of routine in your life can actually make you feel very safe and it can be actually very good for your overall well-being. Um, like I said, I think everything is sort of interconnected and so you can't separate one thing from the other. But for me, like my routine is I wake up in the morning. I walk my dog. This is all like part of my routine. The first thing I do, walk my dog, feed my dog, put on suns, like cleanse my face, put on sunscreen, brush my teeth. Like all those things um, are part of that routine that I have in the morning. And even when things were the worst, those things were my routine, like in the worst of it all, right? Like two years ago, everything's chaotic. We didn't know where the world was going to be. Like I was still doing those things. And so that gave me a sense of like self-care in the sense that I knew that these things were going to happen no matter what was what else was happening in the world. And so my recommendation from ev to everybody is like create some sort of routine in your life. It doesn't have to be skincare. Um, it doesn't have to be exercise, but just pick something that you do every day that you know you can rely on doing every day. And I think that that will actually give you like a great sense of security and safety in your life. And so for me, cleanse in the morning, sunscreen at night, cleanse, tretinoin, moisturize. Like those things are pretty, pretty, uh, pretty consistent throughout my life and my dog. Yeah, that, that's great. I, I, you're exactly right. Routines are uh, extremely important. I, I'm sure that your listeners probably would not necessarily imagine the surgeon entrepreneur saying sleep uh, is actually important. Um, a lot of people say, oh, you must sleep four or five hours a day and do it like Elon Musk. Or else. No, for me personally, sleep is very important. It allows my mind to reset and to think it 
hopefully uh, allows for me to have clearer skin uh, as well. So for me, I, 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 I sleep the appropriate amount, seven, eight hours uh, a night uh, when I can't have an 18 month old. Fortunately, she, she sleeps pretty well. So I'm able to still sleep well. But uh, personally, in the morning, I go into for my own mental well-being, a quiet time and uh, just focus on that. We are all skin care. So we'll, I'll talk about the skin and the fact that I listen. I'm also a patient of Cortina and I listen to my own uh, dermatologist on what uh, he told me. I personally, I'll be full here and uh, say I suffer from acne. I also suffer from hair uh, thinning. So I have my own compounded products that we've made. And so I take that's the very first thing I do in the morning. And then uh, we have our own five step uh, regimen. That's uh, it's it's keep it simple. It's a kiss. It's a kiss solution. It's very simple that I do in the morning uh, and in the evening. And also, uh, I love the shout out to, to Teddy. I'll do the same thing to Bergdorf. Uh, I, I take my uh, golden for a for a walk every uh, morning um, as well, just to uh, unwind and and get some endorphins going. Well, both of those sound like pretty good routines. Uh, so I, I appreciate you guys taking the time today to share your insights and have this conversation. I thought this was so fascinating. And, you know, it, it really illuminates uh, what can be when we use technology the right way and, you know, how it can bring access to folks. All important things. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate this. Thank you, Alex, for having us on. Yeah, thank you, Alex. Um, I think this we brought out some really interesting topics that I didn't think we would cover. So I think your insight has actually been very helpful. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. For more beauty content from the team at MindBuddyGreen, you can always read along with our content at mindbuddygreen.com, follow us on social media, and of course, tune into next week's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you ever want to reach out with questions or insights or thoughts, you can find me on Instagram at Alex underscore Blair underscore. Thanks so much for your time.